The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz Industry 4.0, I know we love numbers, Industry 4.0 and three little letters that you're seeing everywhere, capital I, small O, capital T, that's I-O-T, I'll tell you all about it. It's 2014 and we're witnessing the rise of the industrial internet and orchestrated manufacturing. Don't know what that is? We'll tell you all about it. This is the age of the smart factory. It brings a new generation of systems that are delivering real-time awareness, that's right this second, and Autonomic interactions among machines, among systems, among assets and things, hence the IoT. Okay, here's the clue. That's the Internet of Things. So a big question for your business. Are you ready to adjust, step up, and take advantage of great opportunities? Or, ho-hum, are you going to stick to the status quo, sit there, watch the world move on, and be left behind? It's dealer's choice. How much risk is on the line for you? I have a panel of experts who will help you figure that out. Introducing first on the panel today, Dave Westrom. He's a senior VP of business development at a company called ThingWorks, T-H-I-N-G-W-O-R-X. And he sent me a quote from none other than Niccolo Machiavelli. Let me read the quote, and then we'll have Dave explain it. The quote is, And it ought to be remembered that there is nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous to conduct, or more uncertain in its success than to take the lead in the introduction of a new order of things. That's just beautiful, Dave. Welcome, Dave Westrom. How are you? Very good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining me. Talk to me. Machiavelli, I don't know if we've ever had him quoted on the show, and we've certainly had a range of well-known people quoted. So why did you pick this today? And talk to me about how it relates to our topic, industrial Internet. Go ahead, Dave. Well, change is a challenge. And uh, the Internet of Things is really um, ushering in a new paradigm for business transformation. Um, it's highly disruptive. Um, we believe it's driving a new era of innovation. It's going to dramatically alter the, the status quo and all the related processes around uh, product application and solution development and service management um, that have been in place for the last 20-plus uh, years. So um, we think that uh, the dramatic change has already started. It's going to accelerate, and it's um, being driven by the need and desire to innovate, to create new business processes, to do things that provide incremental value for a customer and differentiate a customer uh, versus the uh, past 20 years that have focused primarily 
on the automation of known business processes. And while there's value in that, um, it uh, the going forward, the emphasis is going to be on innovation and new business processes. Dave, I have a question for you. Machiavelli specifically said there's nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous, more uncertain in its success than to take the lead. Who is at risk here? Who exactly? Is there one person, one company, one team who's taking the lead in what we're calling this new order of things? Who holds the biggest risk right now? Well, I think um, I think it's uh, it's everyone. It's okay. the um, uh, the end customers that are facing some uh, major choices around their um, existing business models, uh, product manufacturers, for example, um, that have to decide, are they going to continue to sell products the way they have over the last 20 years, or are they going to change their business model and uh, go to a what we call a servitization model, where it's uh, leveraging the product to sell new services as the primary driver. Um, the companies that implement these these solutions, um, system integrators, consultants, um, the, the model is going to change dramatically. Uh, customers and customers want results fast. They want to innovate. They want to innovate rapidly. They want to broaden participation in the innovation process. So a lot of the models that have uh, worked in the past that um, – oftentimes take uh, two, three, four years before you, you see value from an application, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's not going to be uh, the norm going forward. So I think it's the ultimately it's the end customers, the product manufacturers, the service providers, the consulting companies, and there's a lot of uh, new technology that's enabling this and driving this, which I'm sure we'll get into that during this call. We will. Thank you. So it sounds like the risk is shared. So the warning of the words of the wise Machiavelli is is spread across. Thank you, Dave. Great start to our conversation. Quentin Fisher is up next on the panel. Quentin brought us this topic, and we're delighted. Quentin is CSC's sales for manufacturing communications and SAP for the big data and analytics practice within the U.S. That's a mouthful. And he sent me the following quote. I believe this is his own words. Quentin Fisher says, in 10 minutes, The equivalent data from the dawn of creation until 2003 is generated, and there is plenty of idle data in the system. Cisco has quoted that 1% of what can be connected is connected. That's certainly provocative. Welcome back, Quentin. How are you? Very good. Glad to be here, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me about this interesting quote. What kind of numbers are we looking at here? Yeah, yeah, well, it was interesting. I was at an automotive megatrends uh, you know, conference a couple weeks back and we had Google presenting and, you know, they're of course all about the data and the marketing and, and just that, that stat around the massive amounts of data that's being created and is, is only growing, right? It was just pretty mm-hmm. astounding. Um, and then you look at how there's all these islands of data and, and people really aren't looking across the network, connecting the data sets uh, and providing those insights. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity. And I, I think that kind of lends to, you know, a bit of the topic here around us moving to this industrial, fourth industrial revolution. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we started way back with steam in the 18th century and and then we discovered electricity right and the end of the 20th at the start of the 20th century and then, and then we had digital and electronics start in the 70s right well 
we're really moving to another uh, generation of uh, capability now, and that's really, you know, having these connected machines, right? We talked a bit about autonomic interactions at the mm-hmm. beginning, so having these uh, machines self-sensing, being aware of what's around them, you know, breaking away from these islands to a much more integrated, connected environment, and that just has tremendous possibilities on on quality, on service, you know, across the board. Thank you very much, Quentin. Good addition to our introduction, and let's bring on our third panelist. It's Chris Hallenbeck, who leads SAP HANA's go-to-market globally, and he sent me a quote from the very famous Buckminster Fuller, who, in case you're wondering, lived from 1895 to 1983. Those in the know, I believe, called him Bucky Fuller. And here's the quote, and we'll have Chris explain it. The quote says, When I'm working on a problem, I never think about beauty. I only think about how to solve the problem, but when I have finished, if the solution is not beautiful, I know it is wrong. What a wonderful quote. Chris Hallenbeck, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Wonderful um, yeah, I, quote. We ha- haven't had Fuller on the on the show, so to speak. So talk to me. Why did you pick this? And, and what ca- are know, we talking beauty and IoT? I've never heard those together. Go ahead. You don't need to think about geodesic <laughs> domes very often. Um, right. The... Um, no, I think it is. I think what's happened, we continue to add complexity to how the world is run. But the problem with that complexity is that, first of all, it makes things very rigid and stiff. It makes them more difficult to change, yet we know we're changing more quickly every day. And so the technology we design now really does need to be elegant. Um, we need to focus in, am I actually making things harder and more complex, or am I in mm-hmm. fact sort of refactoring it and taking it from a level of complexity and simplifying it, even though I'm making it more powerful? By adding these algorithms, adding these sensors, adding in this automation, am I in fact making a simpler system that will actually enable us to, to evolve more quickly? And And that's the key challenge. With everything we're putting in place, This isn't just sensors. There's compute. There's all sorts of pieces involved, and we need to be very cognizant of of this aspect of beauty, um, really, so that we can understand it, um, what we've implemented. We can can figure out what's working and what's not working, um, and we can diagnose it, not just have a few people who understand how it works, but have a broad, broad set of folks who are able to understand what's happening so we can diagnose it and continue to improve it. That sounds like a lofty goal. When I think of uh, what, what Quentin was just defining as Industry 4.0 as being the fourth industrial revolution, I think a revolution. I'm not thinking of anything beautiful. But I love the way you threw in the term elegant, elegant solutions, Chris. Who's responsible for these elegant solutions? Is it the mass of people developing these systems? Is it one person sitting in a chair with with Buckminster Fuller's uh, signature scrolled on the back of the chair saying, I will take the lead, I will take the legacy, and I will make elegant solutions? Who's responsible for that? Briefly, go ahead. Well, that's the interesting part of it, is we're actually bringing together industries that have never really worked together very much. Um, you have the folks who are actually out making sensors, doing the doing the actual machinery and these things that are out there. And it's not always just machinery, but it can actually be truck drivers and other folks. But now we're taking sensor data from the roads, where is there accidents, traffic data, weather mm-hmm. data, all these seeds which is coming from software and a whole new set of web companies and web service companies. We're taking data now that's being sensors that are being embedded and how that how does that data actually have meaning, which has really been really just within industrial automation. But then how does that 
work with, how does that get to servers for algorithmic work and data scientists who have never really blended over there before? And then you get into mm-hmm. the whole aspect of computing and databases and other stuff. They're trying to analyze that huge, huge volumes of data that are being generated and making something meaningful out of it with these algorithms in a meaningful, in a, in a period of time that makes sense. And so, and that's really maybe one of the biggest challenges right now is how does that work and how do these systems work when they're not made by one company? You know, how is it that we're going to have a car that's driving down made by Tesla and General Motors that are speaking to sensors in our roadways by Siemens and, you know, all these different companies, you know, tied together with somebody like work from ThingWorks and platforms from SAP and CSC mm-hmm. put the whole thing together to make it work. But that's not even that. It's just going to get, there's so many companies involved because it's not just Tesla. It's GM. It's Ford. It's here. It's not just Siemens. It's, you know, a whole host of other companies. And how do we design all of that to work together when we really have never worked, when we've never done this before? Mm-hmm. Great perspective. Thank you very much, Chris. I have a very tough question for my three panelists. This may be the hardest thing you have to talk about for the next hour. What's in your cup today? Because you're on Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we want to know. So, starting with Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. Dave, if you're not drinking anything terribly interesting, I don't know, give me what you wish you were drinking. Tell me a little story. Dave, go ahead. Well, I am drinking um, uh, tea, actually. I... Uh Switched from uh, coffee to tea, um, cut down a little bit on the uh, the caffeine and a little bit um, of a more healthy uh, alternative. I, I still uh, drink the coffee once in a while, but um, um, don't uh, don't need to be uh, amped up. So uh, the tea the tea works great. <laughs> okay, thank you, Quentin Fisher. What's in your cup, or what do you wish was in your cup? Yeah, so in this world of instant gratification. I have, uh, you know, I think spent a small fortune with my Keurig machine at my home office. <laughs> Initially with the justification, oh, I'll drink less because I won't build a, right. uh, you know, brew a whole pot and then be sick right. in my stomach, right? But I, <laughs> I now, uh, end up, you know, consuming it throughout the day and it's absolutely wonderful, but, uh, you know, uh, I gotta, you know, Try and listen to Dave a bit more and not get so amped up on the caffeine here. <laughs> but, Quentin, what's your favorite K-Cup flavor? We have to know. Full strength, caffeine, non-decaf, what are you drinking? You know, I'm, I'm kind of a Starbucks house, uh, house blend guy, right? And, uh, of mm-hmm. course, that's the most expensive category, so it adds to my dilemma, <laughs> I have to tell you quickly before we add, Chris, I just redid my kitchen with red, sparkly, dark red, sparkly quartz countertops. And what did I have to get as an accessory? Quentin, you know where I'm going. A red Keurig Mini. So now I am the proud owner of a Keurig, but it's the little one, the one cup at a time, and I think it's delightful. But I have to do decaf because, you know, they won't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days, and that's Monday, (laughs) Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So there you go. What a lead-in to Chris Allen. Chris, what are you drinking or what do you wish was in your cup? Can you top oh, any of those? I've got espresso and I'm on my third one. So oh. <laughs> that tells you a lot about my tolerance and the amount of caffeine I take. Um, the, the, the funny part of that was I, I hadn't had that cup of coffee once. So I was trying to hit an airplane. And apparently they held the airplane for me because they could <gasps> see me at the coffee place and they're yelling at me. 
I was so out of it if I don't have caffeine. I literally didn't hear them. I'm sitting there stirring my sugar in. They're <laughs> screaming until they ran over, grabbed someone, like, we have to leave. And I was like, what? And we ran off. But so, yeah, without without many, many shots in the morning, I'm useless. Oh, Chris, that's a great story. We've never had a hold the plane from me. I'm stirring my sugar in my caffeinated brew here story on the show. That That's one of our winners. Thank you very much. Guess what, guys? You worked so hard on this opening. I'm going to give you a break, but it's only 90 seconds, so don't go too far. Have another cup or a sip and then come right back. Don't even, to our audience, you're listening to a live edition. It's Tuesday I'm sorry, it's Wednesday. I do so many shows, I can't remember the day. April 2nd, no fooling. Yes, it is. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. Great panel today. Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. Quentin Fisher at CSC, Chris Hallenbeck at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are live on the Business Channel, and our topic today, if you haven't been taking notes, is the industrial Internet, real-time capabilities to grow your business. You don't want to miss what's coming up. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back and we're ready to launch into our Marathon Roundtable segment with Dave Westrom at Things, ThingWorks, Quentin Fisher at CSC, and Chris Hallenbeck at SAP. I'm going to kick this off with Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. And Dave, first of all, tell me something. Is, uh, is IoT, Internet of Things, synonymous with Industry 4.0, Fourth Industrial Revolution, Industrial Internet, just so that we know our terminology and then we'll get going in our innovation segment here. But is it the same exact thing or are these different things? Well, there's so many different um, um, acronyms out there. I think that um, uh, another one that, that we hear quite a bit is machine to machine. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I would I would say that Internet of Things um, extends that because it's not just about machines and devices and connecting to those machines and devices and the data from those, um, but it's also about systems, uh, people, um, which are different data types uh, and and other data sources. So it's uh, it's it's about much more than. Um, machines and devices. 
Thank you. I'm sorry. I knew I threw that at you and you weren't expecting the question, but thanks for fielding that one. So let's get down to some of the talking points you sent me before the show. I'll have you start and then I will invite our other two panelists to join in. So let's talk about the need and desire to innovate. That's what we're talking about today. And you say that will drive the growth of the industrial internet or internet of things, M to M, as well as you say that internet of things business processes are inherently innovative. So we're throwing the term innovation around here. Is this the mantra to innovate is the mantra to get your arms around data as it comes in in huge volumes and huge velocity velocity what's the motivation here dave yeah the um these are these processes are inherently innovative because they leverage the value uh, found at the intersection of people systems and smart connected things so i mean to the point that chris made earlier about the many different types of uh, data sources and different types of data uh, that's, that's constantly uh, growing and expanding and changing. Um, you know, we're talking about processes that leverage data from devices and machines, which is often time series data, um, transactional data from systems such as SAP, uh, and a lot of the newer technologies around um, unstructured data. From, from people, social collaboration, uh, not to mention um, um, uh, some of the other items Chris mentioned, web services. Uh, mm-hmm. But creating a building a business process around this is always got, is almost always going to result in something that is uh, unique and, and differentiated for the group that creates that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's new technology such as ThingWorks that's designed to rapidly enable that, whereas in the past, you had to use uh, several different types of, of uh, software or technology that was focused specifically on those particular data types. So you were sort of stuck in a silo, and if you wanted to um, uh, create something new that crossed from one data type to another, in other words, build an application or innovate on top of that, you needed additional software in order to do that. So it just um, uh, and and the more that you uh, that you did that, you you just created more variables. Um, you added additional uh, components. The uh, the time to do that would increase. The potential points of failure increases, and ultimately it leads to a uh, situation where the organization becomes paralyzed and and can't respond to change. Okay, thank you very much. I want to have Quentin Fisher and Chris Hallenbeck chime in. Who wants to take to add to what Dave just said or comment? This is yeah, Quentin here. Um, I just want to kind of add on a bit of the definition on M to M and things like that. And we're really seeing a, a broader definition around like smart connected systems. So it's not mm-hmm. just machine to machine. It's about this this, this real internet of, of of things and being connected um, and what we're doing is we're seeing pockets of, of innovation out there already. And uh, I like the, the quote, uh, the future is here now. It's, it's just not evenly distributed, right? So, mm-hmm. so finding, um, you know, these pockets of innovation. And what we're seeing is it was the massive price reduction in, in sensors and storage. You know, now more and more uh, industries and use cases are opening up to apply some of these uh, solutions that, that do exist, but now the economics around them are, are starting to make sense in a lot more scenarios. 
Thank you. Chris, I heard you in the background. Why don't you chime in? Go ahead. I did. I think, you know, we're trying to get our arms around what this is and why it is. I do think it is a kind of a call for auto revolution. You know, we've always just hardwired how things work. Um, you know, we can automate machines together. This machine talks it up, says, you know, between them. The point of the Internet things is that it becomes dynamic, is that one machine based on that output can talk to other ones. So we don't have to have set routines. Think about something so simple like, you know, a truck driver going out between vending machines. Um, to be, you know, and that vending machine could be any kind of machine. But that that one, when it's running low, could actually speak out and that, that, that all of a sudden the systems will look at that data and dynamically reroute that driver, taking into account road sensor data, weather data, and go mm-hmm. over. Know based on weather changes that the demand for certain products are going to change and then that should change when they reload the truck, what the inventory in that truck is, what the routes are. So all of this is happening dynamically without human intervention, but it also doesn't mean the human's not involved. The human mm-hmm. effectively becomes another sensor. If the system says, hey, you need to go here, but they see there's an accident that's not been picked up on Waze or on Google Maps, they can say, no, I'm not doing that. And the system takes that into account. So the human's interacting in part of this entire thing. They're not they're not just a dumb aspect of it. They're part of the sensor system. They're part of the input system. And the algorithms and all of the data science behind this is dynamically routing them. This can apply itself not only to that situation. It can mean that, you know, a farmer is out and they're working on a tractor and a box arrives saying, here's the new alternator because yours is going to go out to us. Mm-hmm. And a technician will be on site to fix it. You know, within a, within a day, so you'll have no downtime on your crops. This can be, I mean, these are, whether it's those types of predictive failure maintenance, whether it's dynamic route reoptimization, you know, it, it's whatever makes sense. And why it is a revolution is that we're not, we're, uh, right now, people are just automating how we do things mm-hmm. and trying to make it smarter. We haven't really said, my God, what if I redesigned how we do business entirely now that I can do this? And that's where the innovation is going to come in. Right now, we're really automating what already happens. The true innovation is going to be sparked, but I don't think we've seen it. Chris, where is it going to come from? Let's go with this thread. I like this. I'm thinking I want to say this is amazing and awesome. We know those are very overused words in the English language. Some people have actually set up Facebook pages to ban the use of amazing and awesome. But it sounds that way to me, truly. So who is going to be the seat of this innovation? As as you quoted Buckminster, Bucky Fuller, uh, the beautiful, the elegant solution, the elegant design when you know it's really right. So where does this come from? In, let's, let's take up an organization, a manufacturing organization who has the vision to say let's not just automate everything that exists let's go to another level chris you always have someone creative out there and you don't know where they're going to come from and it's important for these it's most most important is that these companies have these cultures of innovation where people have come up with the new unique ways of doing things that that is embraced that person's given rewards and that that's not punished when you do things out of the norm if you tell people that you're going to be rewarded for creativity, they're going to start coming up with ideas and bringing and bubbling them up, and it's going to take off. These always come out of people who see the need, you mm-hmm. know, for doing it. Whether it's you know somebody who figured out a coin star machine and said, everyone's got change around, everyone, no one's going to roll it up. Why don't I create a machine that does this? Um, you know, these things happen through pain and problems, and they figure out how to take a core problem and make it better. Technology companies typically don't do this. We set up the technology that enables all of this 
and people who actually work in that business who are creative come up with the ideas, and then we help them realize that dream. Chris, interesting point. I want Quentin to chime in, but one comment. Yesterday, our show on HR Trends with Game Changers, we were talking about secrets to optimizing talent in the workforce and the concept of performance management. We all know what that is. came up, and I had this this light bulb went off, and I said to my panel, and by the way, Chris, it included Tracy Arnish, a Senior VP of Talent at SAP, and I said, why don't we change the term performance management to performance encouragement? And the panel said, yeah, we like like that. We really like it. So it sounds like you're on the same exact track. Quentin Fisher at CSC, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this idea of where are the seeds of this new automation, this new industrial age coming from? Where do you see them from your vantage point at CSC? Quentin? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, what we're seeing is a, a layer of analytics, which was what Chris was talking about, that that's new. Um, so we've seen some, you know, I'll say big data marketing, uh, you know, Watson language linguistic type searches and capabilities. Uh, but I think with the machine sensor trend that's going on, there's, there's much more of a, a physics-based um, um, analytical solution that's looking at machine sensors, right, and then mm-hmm. applying analytics and decision support capabilities around that. So, so what, what does that mean, right? So what it means is we now have analytics, right, that are capable of pulling all these sensor signals and understanding outliers, right? And what are the outliers? Then what mm-hmm. are what are those outliers mean, right? What, what What's the correlation and what, what causes those problems? So where are we using this in the real world? So... Um, I mentioned that the, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. So you follow the money, right? So for some very expensive aircraft, right, right now we are actually uh, using analytics to receive this sensor, these sensor signals and use that for flight uh, safety, uh, for test flights, also for training flights to get that and provide that immediate feedback. And we're even able to predict the, um, the precursor conditions that will move a, uh, uh, an aircraft into an out-of-control flight situation. And so now, instead of, you know, I joke around about uh, Maverick and Goose and Top Gun and the, the bells going off before they get into a flat spin, you know, we're actually able to predict that event up to two minutes in advance because we know the precursor conditions. And some of that technology is now even being baked into the avionics of these aircraft. So um, that's a very high-value uh, scenario and solution. And back to the economies making sense for this to start penetrating other industries, we're seeing that now go from aircraft to, to large industrial situations to engines to other, other uh, scenarios where there's a lot of benefit to be gained. Thank you, Quentin. Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. And by the way, what does ThingWorks do? Just give me a, a two-sentence overview. What do you do there? Uh, we provide uh, an application enablement platform uh, purpose-designed for rapidly uh, generating Internet of Things applications for our partners uh, and our customers. Um, uh, one of our uh, key partners is CSC. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just thought I'd mention, too, uh, to the question you asked earlier about where the seeds are and yes. where the opportunity is. Um, 
we see a lot of this happening now. I mean, we have uh, many customers in a wide range of industries um, that are driving innovation and doing it in much the way that, that Chris uh, described earlier, where there are um, the innovation is, uh, is continuous in that mm-hmm. the, um, uh, the inputs from devices are changing, uh, our customers are adding new devices over time, uh, insights from, from big data, big data analytics, uh, things like HANA uh, provide uh, continuously changing insights. And these customers are, are using um, uh, this information in a variety of applications, not only to rapidly create the application, but to uh, continuously make it better over time. So it's not just, a, a, again, a question of um, um, trying to figure out a business process, automating it, and then freezing it. Uh, I think the key with the Internet of Things is that these are, um, these are processes uh, that, are, that are new. Uh, they're going to continuously change. And, you know, we have many customers. I'll, I'll give you one example in the agriculture mm-hmm. area where sure. we have a company that we work with that provides a service and they initially went to market with an application that leveraged data from soil moisture sensors, um, public weather data, uh, a number, number of other inputs. And they were optimizing water, fertilizer usage, uh, crop uh, patterns, how, you know, where to best plant the crops. And as the application evolved, they incorporated new data streams such as uh, crop stress imagery, for example. Uh, Hmm. And this information was incorporated into core prediction algorithms. And, again, they would make new recommendations to their farmers, their customers, um, in a number of different areas to optimize water usage, fertilizer, uh, crop output, uh, a variety of different things. So that process continues as new inputs and new insights are created. And I think that's a big difference uh, that you're going to see with the Internet of Things, and it's happening now. It certainly is. It's not a static process. Now, now we're talking about people in here, and I know that Chris Hallenbeck mentioned that people aren't just, and Chris, the way you said it, I, I almost laughed, but I appreciate it. You said humans are not dumb aspects. Chris, let's talk about the labor and social impacts of this industrial 4.0 revolution of IoT, of orchestrated manufacturing. So who needs to be hired for these roles? Who needs to run the plants? Who needs to run, get get away from the idea of the innovators, the creators, the minds that have the seeds of these beautiful new elegant solutions? People will inherit them. People will be running them at some level. So who are these people, Chris? data scientists? Are these young MBAs? Are these higher, older generation employees who've been there and are trainable? Talk to me. Yeah, it's, you know, they are. I mean, we're seeing it happen. You've already been seeing it happening within industry already. I mean, you have, you went from people running a huge plant. You go to some of the modern plants, they're literally for huge, huge assembly lines doing billions worth of finished goods. Might have four or five people who run them now. There's a few people doing maintenance on the machinery. It is completely automated, and there's one person who's overseeing it. And all of these people have advanced degrees. 
and are looking over that system. And this, you know, and so the number of people who are actually doing physical labor that don't have degrees, who don't have the education, are, you know, those jobs are diminishing for those types of those types of traditional blue collar labor, and that's only going to accelerate. You continue to see within now people who, you know, where do you find data scientists? It's always a great question. You know, there's we're looking at uh, your anywhere the estimates between forty to sixty percent too few by the end of the decade. Um, I mean, and what, and you're finding those, but they're biostatisticians, traditional, um, traditional statisticians, people who are, who've been doing econometrics, mathematicians, all of these folks are now being pulled into these roles. And you have to be careful because you also have every person who's ever been a business analyst mm-hmm. changing their title right now. That's not the same <laughs> thing. Um, <this> is, but, <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, what are they yeah. changing it from what to what, Chris? What's the new title? We want to look out for them. Data scientists. Which, oh, okay. You know, is, which, you know, and that, um, but what you find is the common characteristics of these people. These people have an incredible, uh, just, they love data. They love playing with data. They're looking for, they do look for elegant solutions. You can go in. I was part of a system where we were taking telemetry data off of all of these remote mechatronic systems. These are robotic systems that are completely automated out there. And we were looking at ways of using neural networking and stuff to automatically predict when they were fail. And somebody came up and said, you know what? We could just interview the technicians. We could do an easy pattern matching system and we could solve this. In under a week, we had a completely beautiful working system that reduced the cost of service by 80%. True story. Ooh. for a company. Ooh. 80%? That's huge, the Chris. really people that were crazy were looking for very complicated solutions. And yet it was mm-hmm. the person who had deep mathematical background said, you know what, there's a simple solution here. And this, you find this continually. You talked actually to the person who coined the term data scientist, who's out of LinkedIn. Um, I was on a panel with him the other day, and this is exactly his point, which was there are much easier ways to solve a lot of these things always than massive algorithmic work. Now, you do have to understand those. You have to understand mm-hmm. when they make sense. But... The best people are the people who are creative, love data, love playing with it, and and yet also are looking for those elegant, simple solutions because they're often better than the more complicated ones. Certainly easier to, to fix and maintain over time. Back to my original Buckminster Fuller uh, quote. That, I appreciate that. I, I want to drill this down to the entire panel, to who will be the ones working with these systems. So let's let's uh, fast forward to the shop floor of a manufacturing plant. And we've done shows here on Coffee Break with Game Changers about M2M, Machine to Machine, and the impact on the factory of the future. That was the title of one show. And I opposed, I posed to the panel the following question. Will there come a day in the near future when someone will be proud to say, my son or daughter works in a manufacturing plant, they're on the shop floor. They go to work every day with their iPad. They're making in-the-moment decisions that impact the success of that factory and when the customer gets the, the widget that they've ordered, blah, blah, blah. So are we? who will be the people who will basically, the meek, I'll use that word in quotes advisedly, who would be on the shop floor, let's say, 10, 20 years ago, who will be the people who will inherit these elegant systems that will make the job more exciting? Who wants to take that? I'll open it up to the whole panel. It's Quentin here. I'll, I'll go ahead, Quentin. That. I, I think mm-hmm. even just to add to that, you got this whole concept of additive manufacturing with 3D printing. And ah, that yes. And enables a tremendous amount of customization, 
localization, uh, you know, for the for the consumer and the products, right? So that just further, uh, you know, pushes on the trend that that you are mentioning, Bonnie. Um, and I think that you will there, there's talk about a renaissance of manufacturing back here in in the U.S. Uh, a lot of that is, you know, the cost of labor labor abroad, much more dynamic supply chains, uh, uh, intellectual property theft. Right, all these factors are driving a lot of this, um, you know, movement and migration of manufacturing, you know, back to us, especially when you have energy costs and and just having this strong connected networks to enable some of these. So, so what we're doing is we're seeing this huge um, influx of manufacturing, building these hundreds of millions of dollars uh, plants, but they're realizing that hey, there needs to be you know a brain on top of that brawn as well, mm-hmm. and that's where solutions like what we've been talking about really start driving real benefit. Um, and just to kind of build on a previous point, you know, we're seeing right now highly automated processes. We're seeing that move into a much more analytical model. Well, I'll say there is a human in the loop of that analytic process. It's still a human's a sensor, as we talked about. And then we're going to get to a point where we can truly have, we mentioned the term autonomous here, earlier like a human on the loop right so that they're really being able to manage and, and track it and truly monitor it right so um we're going to see that evolution of capabilities uh, the introduction of more mobile capabilities and faster decision cycles so these uh, data scientists are people that understand the industry they understand the product they understand what mm-hmm. to do with it i think there's going to be a lot of engineers Right? They're going to be a part of this capability, and this whole concept of statistics is going to be much more a common language and platform for folks and not, not just a niche um, uh, expertise or domain. Thank and you, I think, Quentin. Too, your point and what you wanted to, Bonnie, where, where I would have mm-hmm. said, where I think you kind of your quote was a little, um, where I would have said, that point I disagree with, checks about you know, the proud employee down on the on the shop floor working with it. The mm-hmm. making decisions, and that's where if you truly get to the realization of this, they're not making decisions, and, oh, and that's okay. where the social problem is going to happen. They literally, a set of algorithms is going to tell them what to do. Now, they can decline that to add to the amount of information that the compute is making, but right. they may, they're going to decline that or not in becoming a sensor, but then what continues on from that system isn't their determination based on them being really brilliant. Those are going to be continually be done at the compute layer by a set of algorithms that somebody had created computing a software firm. Great point, Chris, but but they feel more engaged. Won't they sense that they're more engaged in the process rather than just moving something along an assembly line? Isn't that that the point is that you've you've led them to believe that they're part of the process because they're there at the decision-making process point, even if they aren't want the one who put the algorithm together. So isn't no, that the so? True. I think yeah, I that's think what that I'm looking true. for. But there's going to be fewer of those jobs, and the jobs that will continue as we have increased automation, increased mm-hmm. pieces where that's more efficient where the higher-paying jobs are fighting more to the algorithmic folks. And, yes, the people who mm-hmm. get those line jobs will be more satisfactory because, actually, they are an incredible source of information. Yes. But, again, they're not going to be making advanced decisions. Those are going to be I, I, I understand. I'm glad you clarified. I, I didn't mean to go in that direction. But, yes, I was oh, looking for right. that it's excitement of being, being proud of being part of this process of this new evolution and revolution. Dave Westrom, I'm sure you have something to add to this very dynamic conversation. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I think um, it, it comes down to uh, what are the uh, new innovative services that are going to be generated um, with this technology and, and who consumes them? Uh, how are they consumed? Uh, and there's going to be um, all sorts of things that we can't even imagine now. So I think that the, uh, uh, the excitement, the change um, is going to be there. The jobs are going to be more interesting. Uh, and I think also just the, the definition of what a manufacturing uh, plant is and where, where it begins and where it ends, that, that that's going to change. Because um, the inputs are going to come not only from within manufacturing, but from outside of manufacturing. Um, companies that make uh, um, products and, and distribute them uh, have an extended supply chain. Uh, they're going to get um, inputs back from their um, uh, their their uh, you know the stores, the the, the truck drivers, the uh, consumers. Um, there's going to be all sorts of uh, new data, new inputs that's going to affect how products are are made, how they're manufactured, how they're serviced. And again, it's going to be a very dynamic, um, co- continuously changing environment. So it's going to require a, a unique skill set going forward. Good points. Anybody want to cap that off? I'm ready to go to break before we go into our crystal ball predictions round. But I hear somebody who is who wants to talk. Yeah, Bonnie Quentin here. I, I just think that Please. through this, I mean, this whole concept of analytics is going to be truly integrated into the manufacturing process going forward. Right? It's going to be an essential component of the manufacturing process as compared to something that's 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 uh, currently done offline, batch, all that stuff. In order to effectively uh, compete, right, that just needs to be uh, an essential part. And as people are building these factories of the future, I mean, this is a very essential, you know, component in their factory so that they can run effectively and efficiently and competitively. Thank you, Quentin. I think we're going to wrap up and go to break. I'm going to let my panelists have about 90 seconds to collect their thoughts, and I'm going to ask Chris Hallenbeck at SAP, Quentin Fisher at CSC, Dave Westrom at ThingWorks. Great panel, by the way. Good, lively, innovative, and creative and engaging. I'm running out of adjectives discussion. We're talking about industrial Internet or IoT or Industry 4.0, and we're talking about the extension of manufacturing into 3D printing, all kinds of good stuff, real-time capabilities to grow your business. Yes, yes, yes. After the break, I'm going to have my guests tell us what they predict if we fast forward five years to 2019, or I'll even let you go to 2020 because we all know that's what hindsight is supposed to be. What do you predict? And if there's anything we didn't cover in the conversation that you feel is really important for our listeners, you can Included in your wrap-up. So we're going to wait for Dave Westrom at ThingWorks, Quentin Fisher at CSE, Chris Hallenbeck at SAP to take their break and come back with their predictions. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here at Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss the next round. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our predictions round. We finally call it the crystal ball. I've asked my guest to go out. I've, actually, I didn't, but I'll do it now. Go out and find that crystal ball in the trunk, in the attic, in the boat shed, wherever you keep it. And let's talk about if we fast forward to five years to 2019 or even 2020, what would you be saying about the impact of the industrial Internet and IoT? Let's kick this off with Dave at... Thing works. Dave, what do you see in those glasses? Are they rose-colored? Are they clear? What do you see five years ahead? Talk to me. Um, I think they're they're clear. I think we're already uh, we're we're in the early stages of um, a very exciting period where um, uh, I think all the things that were mentioned on this panel, um, devices, machines, people, they're all going to be able to communicate. They're going to be optimized by um, uh, new technology, uh, algorithms, new data, everything will be connected, and um, even things like your home, uh, the, uh, all the components in your home, your refrigerator, your dishwasher, um, they will, uh, you will know when they're going to fail before they fail. They'll be, uh, they'll be fixed before they fail. Some, in many cases, that will be done remotely. Same with your car. Um, and so it's going to be um, uh, rapid uh, innovation. Speed will kill. Everything is going to be about speed. And there will be broadened participation in that process throughout the organization because it's going to be easier to innovate and create new things. Um, if a new innovation doesn't deliver on a value proposition, you'll throw it out and move on to the next one. Uh, so that's going to be the environment that uh, is going to be the norm um, and it's already taken place now. That's exciting. That's very exciting. Thank you very much, Dave. Let's move to Quentin Fisher at CSC. And Quentin, by the way, thanks again for bringing us this fascinating topic. Very appreciated. So what do you see ahead in your crystal ball, Quentin? Yeah, well, with 2014 here, I mean, we've kind of said it's going to be the rise of the industrial Internet and this, this orchestrated, the birth of orchestrated manufacturing um, there's been a number of quotes that by 2020, 50% of all digital information will be industrial. So I think mm. that just shows you how it's going to uh, support uh, some of Dave's uh, comments around, you know, this, this hugely integrated 
organization and manufacturing capability. We're going to see the way manufacturing uh, is done currently is, is completely transformed. I think uh, the baseline of, of how to get things produced is, is going to change. We're probably going to see a continued movement onshore with higher uh, intellectual property in the development of solutions, much more focus on uh, quicker uh, innovation cycles around products, and and with that, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see some of the dynamics in uh, you know third world countries as as we see some of the kind of haves and the, the disparity potentially growing between the haves and and the have-nots. So I think that will be an interesting uh, geopolitical dynamic as as in order to compete, right? You really are going mm-hmm. to need this technology baseline and and having a strong um, uh, and industrial internet connectivity and you know secure power base is going to be much more important than than labor costs. So I think we're going to see a massive shift in how things are produced and and how our customers are serviced as well. Interesting. Thank you, Quentin. So you see a gap, a geopolitical gap, not not closing, but making becoming wider. That's interesting. That's another show. You realize that. Let's move on to Chris Hallenbeck at SAP. And Chris, before you start your predictions, I want to just ask you to include, and I can give you oh about two and a half minutes here. Include a comment you made that we didn't cover. You talked about the future of insurance in this industry 4.0 age, and you say when something goes wrong, it'll be nearly impossible to assign liability. I found that very interesting. So go ahead and do your predictions, but I'd like you to address that before we close. So go ahead, Chris. I can probably combine them. I was going to avoid one prediction just because it's a little gloom. I think that most of this is actually extremely positive. But okay. Yeah, we're going to have, you're going to have a massive industrial accident, which will occur. And when we go trace it all the way back, you're going to find out that it was just a series of algorithms that were working together, much like we see flash crashes today, exactly the same where completely automated systems, quantitative analytic systems, made a series of decisions that in isolation seemed intelligent, um, yet in combination it was catastrophic. Um, and, you know, and you're not going to. It's effectively AI. You know, we see all these movies, but that, and maybe it's not going to be intelligent and take over the world, but it doesn't make the difference that the machines will effectively at some point make mm. mistake, honest mistakes and how do you start to say there is no liability and how insurance mm-hmm. changes? You know, the flip of that is you're going to, you, you are already seeing massive lives being saved. 50 cranes work in Abu Dhabi on a single construction site. None of them have, and you imagine how those are the massive ones with the weighted systems and stuff, you know, once it started moving, you're not going to stop these things. It's carrying, you know, multi-ton loads on every one of those 150 cranes. There's never an accident. The reason mm-hmm. is, is there's sensors coming in real time off of every one of those 150 cranes all being orchestrated by a series of algorithms that are predicting if anything will ever go wrong, and the operator literally can't move. They push on the joystick, and nothing happens because the Internet of Things is stopping them ahead of time from a collision that mathematically would occur if they were to continue doing their job. You know, that we're, lives are being saved all over the place, and I think some mm-hmm. huge stories will come out where that happened, um, but we're also going to see the other side. Um, you know, my real prediction was on the geopolitical side, which was, you know, in, in, um, 
a little bit of my founder got someone, but that's okay, which was, I think you are going to see an acceleration of, of onshoring that this is going to accelerate it. And then you'll see, and therefore, you know, the rise of some of the, you know, Asia, some of the lower labor cost countries, which have been seeing a huge boom, are, is going to decelerate. And you could, in fact, see big social problems there is people have a taste of the middle class and all of a sudden they're not viable manufacturing as they were before. And you can see, you know, with large populations, they're trying to grow, and there's nowhere to grow. You can see a lot of unrest. Meanwhile, you'll see, you know, major industrialized countries continue to rebound even stronger because they already have the infrastructure and the internet and the telecom and the systems enables to do this. So, unfortunately, um, it is going to accelerate a lot of the problems we have from the have and the have nots, mm-hmm. um, and do that at a very large scale, or could create massive social unrest. Um, Chris, I'm going to have to stop you here because I've got to close the show. This was great. We do have to do part two. I'll send an invitation. Pardon me. I've got to, got to close now. I will tell everybody that tomorrow is Thursday. It's not Belgium, but it's the day for future of business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific, Thursday afternoon. We're doing a rerun of an interesting show on Startup Focus with Game Changers at 1 p.m. Pacific. Monday, we start all over again with Financial Excellence with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Pacific. Tuesday is HR Trends with Game Changers at 9 a.m. Pacific. And Wednesday. We'll be right back here with another great show on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thanks to my wonderful panel, Dave Westrom at ThingWorks, Quentin, I learned to pronounce it well, Quentin Fisher at CSC, Chris Hallenbach at SAP, and shout-outs to Quentin for bringing us this topic. Rosemary Butler, thank you. She knows why. Malcolm Kimberlin, Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Here's my call to action. Dave, Quentin, and Chris, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for another edition. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early, on Future of Business with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.